know, I think ever since uh, we were children, we learned some strong and deeply held views on fairness, like work hard and get paid, and work harder and get paid more, and work less and get paid less, and no work, no pay, and man or woman, black or white, same job, same pay. So when Jesus tells a story that breaks these views we've grown up with, we don't even know how we ended up with these views, when the workers received the same, despite the amount of work that they put in, in the scorching heat of that day, how upsetting is it when we hear a story like that? But the sweaty and tired workers did not remain silent. They protested vehemently to the landowner, you have made us equal. You have made them equal to us. Now, you can tell right away from that statement there's an inference that they are not equal. And therefore... They've been mistreated. They're victims of unfair labor practices, if not victims also of injustice. And this is where we hear about the landowner's economy. This is when we hear about the owner's economic principles. The landowner said he did no wrong. There was no injustice. The worker and the owners agreed together before the work was done, before the day started, or whenever they came into the day, they agreed. And in fact, all of them received exactly what they agreed to, so they weren't cheated. The owner also stated his ownership of the vineyard. He is the owner. He owns the capital. It is his right as owner to do what he chooses to do with what he owns. The owner chooses to give to the last the same as he gave to the first. And the owner states that his choice is an act of generosity. Now, the parable, as Jesus tells it, basically ends with this question. To those who are listening, are you envious because I'm generous? He just kind of lets that question sit there a while. Okay. As I meet with parents uh, for baptism planning, we have a couple that are coming up here. I discuss the meaning of the service, and I also discuss each element of the baptism service. And we make sure I take some time to talk about the promises that the sponsors and the parents are also agreeing to. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when it comes to that baptismal service, that as we go through it, you kind of see that there's a step higher in responsibilities for the parents. And then uh, 
as well as a little bit step higher in the challenge for the child as they're growing and they're developing and they're, they're maturing. Until we get to that very last promise, which says, do you promise to help your child work for justice and peace? I kind of chuckle sometimes when I get to that point. Here's a six-month-old baby, and we're expecting this baby to be all about justice and peace someday, right? Well, the parents are doing that on behalf of the child, of course. And the parents are the sponsors for their own children, and they're making that promise. So in order to bring that whole idea of justice and peace down to earth a little bit, I showed uh, two photos kind of cartoon pictures, uh, one on top and one on the bottom. And it's of three children who want to watch a baseball game. But there's a big picket fence in front of them. Each child's a little bit older than the other. One child is head and above, shoulders above the other. So you have one child about this tall, another child about this tall, another child about this tall. Each child has a box or a crate. And they take their box or their crate and they put it up next to the fence and they're standing on the crate. So they can peek over the fence and watch and participate in the baseball game. And all is well except one child standing on their crate still cannot see the game. It's still too short to peek over the fence and watch the baseball game. The next photo. Now something has changed. The shortest child has two boxes that they're standing on and now is tall enough to see over the gate. The middle child still has their box and the tallest child has no box. Standing on the ground is tall enough to look over the fence without a box. I use that as an example of justice. And I want to make a comment here about that. Charity is different than justice. We all know what charity is. We give some money to a need. We give some foodstuffs to people who are hungry. We give some clothing to people who have a need. We give things that where there's a need. That's charity. But justice is addressing the systemic problems that lead to the fact that people are hungry or don't have enough in order to take care of their necessary daily needs. That's justice. As I remember someone saying, there are a thousand hacking at the leaves of evil and only one hacking at the roots. Charity is hacking at the leaves of evil. Justice is hacking at the root. So, one child has no need of a crate. Doesn't need it. One child has exactly what they need. And the shortest child, the one who has the greatest need, ends up having the most. Ends up having two crates. That's a picture of what I hope to begin the conversation of justice and peace with when it comes to sponsoring your child for baptism. 
That concrete image of generosity of one child giving the creed over to another is an act of generosity that allows the disenfranchised, through no fault of their own, to participate. And that also, I think, is a definition of justice. The owner of the vineyard did a very similar thing. The owner gave out of his abundance. The owner included all the workers in the marketplace in meaningful labor. The owner provided daily bread for every worker. And here we have to understand how the story sounds to people of Israel at that period of time. The denarius was a daily wage, which that daily wage paid enough for the entire household needs, not just the individual. What does generosity look like for not just an individual, but a community? Or even, let's make it broader, a state or a region of the country of the world. There are some churches in northeastern part of India. Uh, It's the state of Mizoram. And they have been intentional about their generosity since 1914. This has been a practice, a long-time practice. Uh, Families in that uh, area have a tradition of setting aside one handful of rice at every meal. So again, you may remember another sermon I preached when we talk about bread, other parts of the world, it's all about rice, right? They had a handful of rice that they took aside and they gave it to the church. When they had enough, the church brought it together and then the church sold it. And in 1914, they took all that rice and they sold it and they made a dollar and 50 cents. Okay? Although today, they're doing the same practice and today, they have been collecting $1.5 million. And they have supported uh, 1,800 missionaries in addition to some also local ministries that they've done. One church leader said, when we talk about this handful of rice, it's very humble. The service is done in the corner of a kitchen where nobody notices. But God knows and blesses it. And another church member said, it's not our richness or our poverty that makes us serve the Lord but our willingness. So the Mizo people say, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. You can actually watch a video of this practice on the internet. Uh, All you have to do is type in international stewardship, a handful of rice. And you can listen to them tell the story. The kingdom of heaven is like 
The kingdom of God is like, and here I often say, the rule of God in this world is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, who went out at noon, who went out at the end of the day, giving laborers a chance to work, a a daily wage, because as he said, I am generous. Amen.